Good day, folks, and welcome to another edition of our FX podcast series. Today, I'm joined by Ellie Henderson from our economics team and the man who is the rock of this FX podcast series, Mr. Chris Brand from our FX trading desk. Recording this on a Tuesday following last week's U.S. jobs report and, of course, last week's Jackson Hole conference, where Jerome Powell refused to commit to a timeline on tapering. For many of you, the kids are back at school. You're probably spending more time back in the office and at weekends doing normal things like meeting friends or taking the kids to the theater or just enjoying the freedom of not having to wear a face mask everywhere you go. There seems to be an air of normality about everything to the extent that this podcast is being recorded in the office today and the trading floor feels like a trading floor again, which is great. Anyway, enough rambling from me. Before I get the thoughts of Ellie and Chris on the markets, let me quickly fill you in on what's been happening here on the corporate FX desk. Firms of all shapes and sizes, from those who deal purely on our IX platform to those um, who predominantly use FX structured solutions, really turned up in the month of August. FX volumes on the corporate desk last month were the largest we've ever seen in our history. When one considers that this has actually happened in a month, which usually is very quiet due to people being away on holidays and also with the fact that the market volatility as such has has remained subdued, it was certainly a surprise. The reality is that whilst volatility remains low, we did see some interesting moves last month um, and continue to do so. I mean, case in point is the move that we've seen today, for instance, which has um, seen sterling dollar fall almost a cent um, and sterling euro fall um, about half a cent. Um, I thought we maybe just kick it off there actually Chris so maybe I'll bring you in I've been in back-to-back meetings all morning so have missed um, uh, a bit of the move I assume it's got something to do with Boris addressing the comments is that is that what's happened uh, yeah partly but not solely um, at the moment of the time of recording basically Boris is speaking as we as we as we do this now um, but it's obviously been well known that the tax increase is likely to be go ahead and he's just confirmed that um, I guess basically there's a little bit of negativity around it. I think what it does, it shows it's the Tory party has been known for a, a party of low taxes and they're kind of shifting now away now and they're going to start and they're starting to do this at uh, this uh, national insurance tax, which also breaks one of their um, manifestos promises. So there is a bit of negativity viewed against it. Um, I think overall in it, give it a, you know, at the end of the day, I think it all wash out. I think, the way I'm looking at it personally is that this is a raise in one tax, but it looks likely they're going to end the triple lock. So I think it's going to be somewhat offset overall. Um, it's still a ra- a, the, the grey vote, it seems. Um, so while this move lower has been partly to do with it, um, I don't think it's everything. Um, just to bear in mind, basically, we've seen the dollar index uh, push higher. We've seen US 10-year treasuries hit higher all this morning as well. So it's not the only store in town. I think the dollar is a large part of that as well. But it surely has some um, negative connotations for the UK. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, what about your side, Ellie? I mean, this political situation domestically is certainly getting interesting work with you know, potential reshuffle in the RF2 and, and Brexit back on the headlines as well. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, I'm not sure if you had the time to digest anything of the last uh, hour or so of Boris addressing the comments. Yeah, so just to pick up on what Chris was saying about the um, national insurance hike. So that's going to be a hike of 1.25% and that's on both employee and employer contributions. So leading up to it, we wasn't quite sure whether it would just be on the employee contributions, but it seems like it's going to be on both. 
And like I said, that is a break to the manifesto pledge. Also, more of a surprise, it was uh, the story was broken by The Sun minutes before um, Boris Johnson got up to speak. But the PM, he also announced a 1.25% hike to the rate of dividend tax. So that was a little bit more surprising. That wasn't rumoured in the papers in the days leading up to this. And what all of this is to do with is to pay for a social care reform, which he announced today involves a £86,000 cap on what any individual will pay for care in their lifetime. So that's what the tax hikes are um, being used for. But also just to pick up on what Chris said about the triple lock on pensions. So this is rumoured to be announced this week that um, Rishi Sunak is going to announce what he'd like to do with this. So he, he is really between a rock and a hard place on this one. So if he kept the triple lock because of the wage growth numbers at the moment, they're around 8% because of pandemic related distortions. We could see pensioners get a large increase at the expense of the taxpayer, even though underlying wage growth is nowhere near that number. But if he abandons it, that's again another ditch of a manifesto pledge. So currently rumours are that he'll probably suspend it for around a year and then it will be reinstated. So, yeah, it's a very busy week in UK politics apparently coming after these announcements is possibly a reshuffle as you mentioned Kieran so we'll we'll be keeping our eyes out for that Brexit news that's not gone away um but that's good news on that front apparently it's looking as if we will avoid another sausage war for the time being the UK government announced um earlier this week that they have extended the grace period on the Northern Ireland protocol um although the EU commission have said that they will take no legal action on this thing on this extension, it did remind Britain that both sides are legally bound to fulfil their obligations under the agreement. So it looks like we are going to have a little bit of a delay um, to that coming in. But by all means, these tensions are not going away anytime soon. And then on IndyRef2 front, so there have been um, some more news on this in the media recently, and that kind of came after Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack said that Scotland can have a second independence referendum if opinion polls consistently showed that um, 60% of Scots want a new vote. So this kind of led to the story rearing its head again and led to debates on well, what would independence actually look like. And a lot of this centred earlier in the week and into last week uh, with disputes over where the UK's Trident nuclear deterrent would remain, which is currently based on the River Clyde in Scotland. So yeah, on the domestic front, we've got away from the summer and it looks like we're in for a busy busy month or so thanks guys and um what about last week then um we obviously went into into jackson hole thinking that um there might be some movement from from uh, jp as it were jerome Powell. um but he he kind of was left, left everyone hanging i mean it was uh, it was quite one of one of those interesting mornings where all of the other Fed members were were kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, all being rather hawkish, and and then uh, you know he just wouldn't commit to to uh, to a timeline on that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And also the the U.S. labor market report, which again was a, was a big miss, but markets didn't move as much as as one would suspect. I suppose that's got something to do with 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 the wage uh, growth numbers. Um, and finally, I mean, this is something I'm I'm very keen to get your thoughts on, Ellie. It's just labor shortages in in general. Uh, and, and what that might look like. So, so shall we start, start with you, Ellie, and then I'll get Chris to to give me his his thoughts on those as well. 
Yeah, sure. So Jackson Hole, as you said, everyone was eagerly awaiting it because in the past, important policy events, they have been flagged at this event. Last year, we um, it was announced a new average inflation target framework. And as you said, leading up to the event, we had a lot of um, the Fed's hawks coming out and making, making statements. But in event, as you said, it was less revealing than hoped. He reiterated. Uh, Fed Chair Powell reiterated that the inflation condition had been met, but there was still some progress needed to meet the labour market goal that he said before. And although he did taper, he did nod towards a taper by the end of the year. But again, that kind of was expected. Maybe the most significant statement was that a different and substantially more stringent test would be needed for rate hikes. And that kind of signalled a more dovish report than expected. But all in all, it was less exciting than people and markets had had anticipated. But given the US labour market report, maybe that was the right right approach. Non-farm payrolls released last week. It was weak. We shouldn't read too much into one sole data point, and we're certainly not. But we will be looking out for the new the next few reports to see if this was a one-off or if it rebounds again. So payrolls came in at two plus two hundred and thirty-five k in August which considering, as you said, consensus was for a 750k gain, it was a pretty large miss relative to expectations. So why did it why did it come in so low relative to what everyone was expecting? Well, it's thought that really maybe it's the rapid spread of the Delta variant across the US. So I read reports um, this morning that new COVID cases in the US on Labor Day this year were 300% higher than on Labor Day last year. And it's quite possible that this weighed on job growth. And if you look at the sectoral composition of where payrolls were gained and lost, you can kind of see that from employment in leisure and hospitality. So that's quite a sector quite sensitive to COVID numbers. And that actually added no new jobs in August, which is a sharp drop when it added 415,000 jobs in July. Um, So despite this quite weak report. As we said, we can't read too much into it and we caution not to read too much into one report. And we do maintain our call for a tapering announcement in December. So possibly on the back of this, the chances of an earlier move are now more remote, with Fed members likely wanting to see the evolution of these employment reports, especially given that the enhanced unemployment benefits expired in all states um, on Monday. So it'll be really interesting to see how that impacts the data, but our call does remain for December, despite um, that report. And you touched on um, labour shortages, and we also, as a desk, we're finding this really interesting and we're monitoring it and trying just to have a look at any data we can. So we think it has been impacting the jobs data in the US, but it also has in the UK and Australia. And the UK domestically, that's a pretty interesting case because Labour shortages are not just caused by the pandemic, but also because of Brexit, which has resulted in a in a pretty large decline in the supply of overseas workers in the UK. So we had a headline grabbing report earlier in the week from the CBI, which is the UK's largest employer group. And they warned that the UK could experience labour shortage issues for up to two years. And these shortages have really hit everyday life. They've even impacted the supply of McDonald's milkshakes. So you really know that the situation is pretty dire. But jokes aside, it is a problem. The CBI report, they tried to emphasise that it's not going to be an easy thing to fix. If we take HTV drivers, the RHA, which is a trade association, they said that to train the 100,000 HGV drivers that the UK needs, it would take up to 18 months. So this just shows 
how long it may take to retrain workers and the supply and the skills mismatch that we kind of have between those searching for jobs and vacancies available. So yeah, this problem is widespread across other other sectors and it's definitely something we will continue to monitor and it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. I just want to make sure that um, Chris is still with us after that um, re- re- revelation that McDonald's might be short of milkshakes. Um, Chris, you there? You still there? Yeah, I was just about. I mean, I'm almost crying, but, you know, it's fine. Um, it's devastating. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of like the employment numbers, it's almost like we're suddenly starting realising that the stopping the freedom of movement is not the best idea in the world. I mean... It doesn't take a genius to work out that one, but it certainly seems to be that the um, lack of EU workers or, you know, the amount that went home is obviously causing an impact. Um, I doubt very much the UK government will use that as an excuse. Um, I think they probably don't want to have Brexit being um, the main cause of these shortages. Um, but it's hard to deny that that's not the case, in, uh, certainly in, in London and uh, with the hospitality starts. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to... Uh, be too much talk and blame on that aspect. Um, in terms of the US Jackson Hole, um, I think it turned into a bit of a bear trap for us. I think leading into it, we were all hopeful that something would get announced and it was going to be a big event. And in the lead up to that, he had some Fed speakers that made it even sound like that something was going to happen and it was going to be an announcement of a taper. And then power comes in and basically calms the whole thing down again. And so we did see a bit of movement on the back of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Powell's done this before. He seems to be like the calm head in the room, calming things down. I mean, you do wonder sometimes whether he had an inkling about the NFP was going to be that week. Um, it, because, you know, the way he was, like, quite calm and pushing back on expectations. Um, but in terms of the number, yes, it's weak. I think if we get a few more weak, then people will start taking more notice of it. Um, but I'm with Ellie. I think this is maybe it's just a temporary uh, glitch. And looking at hospitality employment numbers and the delta variant it does kind of tie in that that's the case so i think just like power we're in a bit of a wait and see we need a couple more job status to sort of um get an overall picture um i don't think the market is too shocked by this one-off number i think if we get a few more that are weak then we're gonna have to reconsider but at the moment we're looking at it as a blip only Okay. That's great. Um, I think before we wrap this up, we've got to talk about the ECB. Um, obviously, uh, interesting to get your thoughts um, on, on, on where this stands. W- w- what's your thoughts, Ellie, first, first up? Yeah, so we have the governing council meeting on Thursday and we're not expecting any changes to the key rates. Um, consensus is for them to maintain at their current rates. Although it is possible that we will see a slight alteration to the pace of asset purchases under the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme, better known to you and I as the PEP. So in March, the ECB actually opted to ramp up the pace of purchases due to tightening financial conditions and the spread of COVID. And they extended that again in June to the end of September. So we're now approaching that end of September day. And the question is, what happens next? And really, our desk believe that given the Eurozone economy is it's in a fundamentally improved place relative to earlier in the year. We don't really think that there'll be much support to continue at this elevated pace. And because of that, we think the governing council is likely to announce that asset purchases under the PEP will revert back to the pace seen at the start of the year. 
And this is likely to be supported by some upgrades to the economic forecast, which will also be released um, at this meeting. On inflation, Eurozone is not immune to the price pressures we've seen elsewhere in the world, you know, in the UK, the US. And we expect the inflation projections to be revised upwards. But we think that the governing council will stick to their line that these inflation pressures will be transitory. So, yeah, it may be an important meeting if we see a reduction in the pace of asset purchase, but we don't see any changes to the key rates for some time. Thanks. And what about your side, Chris? Yeah, I think market expectations are similar, really, um, a reduction in the pace. But um, they're quite clear to make sure that this is not a taper. This is just a reduction in pace. I think that's one of the key points. Um, in terms of support levels they've got in place at the moment, I agree. They can't continue with this. I think the vaccination rate in Europe is around a 70% mark. Um, the economy is reopening. They have, they're running out of excuses to keep the support level up. So, yeah, I think there will be some sort of reduction. And as uh, Ellie said, the inflation increase is obviously going to be one thing we're watching as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a few things. I don't think it's going to be hugely market moving, um, but there'll be a few interesting points for sure. Great. So I think uh, finally, as always, I'd like to just get your thoughts, Chris, on um, some of the technicals. Um, any, any important levels that you guys are watching, certainly in sterling dollar, sterling euro or euro dollar? I was really hoping you could ask me my view on the football then, but you seem to have gone very quiet on that. This I, week. Football? I, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a rugby man, as you know. Um, yeah, spring, sure. Spring box and, and rugby championships as well <laughs> at the moment. So, um, but. <laughs> in terms of FX, the currency levels, um, we're still kind of in ranges, really. I mean, for cable, we're really looking at still like that 136, 140 on the wide. Um, don't really see any huge reasons to break out this range at the moment. So I think it's very much range bound at the moment. Um, Sterling Euro, even tighter ranges. Um, basically, we've been stuck around a 116 to a 117, what it seems for quite a while now. Um, but yeah, and even on Euro Dollar, I mean, 117. 119.10 is basically our levels at the moment. Um, I'm finding it hard to find a reason for this breakout of the ranges at the moment. So I prefer to play those ranges and um, be more of a market jobber than looking for any breaks at the moment. That's excellent. So to, uh, from all of us here um, at Investec, hope you guys are all keeping safe and well. And um, we'll definitely catch you on the next one. No talk about football, please, even uh, though I know Chris is gagging for it. Um, I'm certainly needing a lunch after hearing about McDonald's milkshakes and sausage wars. So that's a wrap from the three of us, guys. Until the next one. Thanks very much.